Hey, girlfriend, welcome to Pouring Out Perfume Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Wilcox. Today I have Julie Parker. She is a wife, a blogger, an author, a podcaster. She has written five books and she has a master's in counseling. Today she's going to share her story of redemption with sexuality. Also, super fun, she is going to be giving sex tips that can make the experience better for wives. So unless your bedroom is rocking and a-rolling, stay tuned for this episode. Hello, Miss Julie. Hello. It's wonderful to be here. It is wonderful to have you. We've been trying to get schedules to match up for quite some time. So I, I'm so happy that you're right in front of me and I get to pick your brain and talk about something that intrigues me. And I think it's such a good topic. I mean, come on. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucks. I do have a pretty great topic. Yes. So, of course, everybody I'm sure wants to know, such as myself, how did you get involved in this whole world? In hot, holy, humorous world? That's a great question. And it's one I often get asked because, you know, no one when they were young and were asked, what do you want to do with your life? (laughs) Said, you know, what I really want to do is grow up to be a sexpert. (laughs) (laughs) And if I had, somebody would have had a lot of concern about me and be talking to my parents. (laughs) But what happened for me is that I really struggled in this area when I was a teenager and young adult. And I had grown up with a church tradition that handled the sex topic by basically saying, don't. Hmm. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't feel those feelings. You know, we don't talk about it. It's just don't. And I don't know how other people manage that, but I did not manage it well. Because God created us as sexual beings. And I just really struggled in that area. And then I also had some other factors in my own story that led to me having what I call my premarital promiscuous past. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was not following God's plan and I got off track and I was getting short term needs met. Shall I say that? through sex. I mean, it does feel good. And there were moments that I had that, but I always felt worse afterward and and worse about myself long-term. And there were just a lot of broken hearts, mine and others in that whole plan. So my story became that I grew closer to God. I kind of had this return of saying, well, what do I really believe about God? And what about this piece that I can't seem to get to fit? And I rethought, kind of everything about religion and found myself recommitting to God and saying, I really want this to be right. And was trying to do things better, but it wasn't until I really leaned into him and kind of gave it to him and said, okay, I think you've forgiven me, but I haven't forgiven myself. Hmm. And kind of through this whole process, God worked in me and it turned out that my testimony about what Christ had done in my life was around sexuality. But that's not usually the testimony that people are sharing, you know, when someone says, how has God really worked in your life? You know, growing up with this church tradition and being around this thing, if you don't even talk about it, it's really hard to to then go, well, let me tell you about my sex life. (laughs) It is so much better now. (laughs) Uh, But that was my story. And so 
this is kind of unfolding over years and years. And eventually I got to the point that I, I felt like God was telling me I needed to tell this testimony, that I needed to do something with this. But I just didn't know what it was. And kind of in a Moses-like moment, I said, okay, I really like to write. I'll tell you what, God, I'm pretty sure you'll get off my back if I just start a blog and I'll just throw up a, you know, something here and there. And then maybe some people will wander by and find it. And that'll be my ministry to the world at the end. And <laughs> now about 13 years later, and million hits plus hits on my blog, two podcasts, three books, another book coming. I mean, this has just kind of blew up on me. And I discovered how many people also wanted good answers about sex. And as we don't yeah. really talk about it in the church, like you said, in most of our church communities, it's a faux pas, right? We just don't, we don't right. discuss it. Well, and when it does get talked about, oftentimes we focus so much on sexual sins mm -hmm. that we don't cast a vision of what is good about sex when you do it God's way and what that actually looks like. So we don't even know what we're aiming for. Absolutely. When you started the blog, what do you feel like God put on your heart to start with? Well, I mean, the first post I put up was my testimony, uh, which you can still find on my website. But I've started giving a lot of tips. And so that's kind of where I focused with short blog posts that were giving tips, sometimes sex tips, but also tips about things like I talked about how our values and scripture wove into how we viewed sex and what we did. For instance, I talked about how what if 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter was how you treated your spouse sexually. What if you were patient, kind, you know, you didn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, you did all these things. What if you were both doing that? What would your sex life look like? Well, that's what God paints as the plan. That is brilliant. What a, what a smart way of explaining this and talking about it. Well, I have this strong theory that all of scripture applies not just to one area of life. It's not just to our worship worlds. And so we talk about that, you know, how it's not just on Sundays, it's other times. But a lot of us don't go that last bit to, and it applies to our bedroom, mm -hmm. sexual relationship. I think we feel awkward or fearful to let God into that space that feels so private and vulnerable. I agree. I completely get that. You don't want your heavenly father hanging out in the bedroom with you but yeah and i mean he's know, not gawking <laughs> he's not he's not a voyeur or anything creepy like that but you know he's given this as a gift to us right and like a father with his children he wants us to enjoy it mm -hmm. have you had any kickback on songs of solomon yes or any yes i had a feeling you would yes but so Historically, a lot of people have viewed the Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs, as an analogy mm. of God's relationship to his people or Jesus to the church. Now, that's not always been true. Even throughout the centuries, there have always been people who saw this as a love song between two married people. But even if you take the attitude, which is not actually my viewpoint, but if you take the idea that it is an analogy, then you also have to say, okay, 
So why did God use this sexual relationship? That certainly means he's okay with it. He's okay with all of this kind of intimacy, if that would be something he would use as the analogy. Brilliant. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm just going to keep kind of picking your brain on this. Yeah. So if somebody is, I feel like any kind of promiscuity, any kind of like freak a leak in the bedroom, if you will, as the young kids <laughs> like to say it, I feel that there's this still this level of shame or of guilt or of withholding, which may, I'm sure you know, affect a lot of relationships, right? Because from what I, I'm going in circles here, but a lot of times I hear from women, they don't feel sexy enough. They don't feel like they can do anything because it's it's wrong, right? They, they oh no, that's out of my comfort mm. zone or that's that's too much for me. Yeah, so what, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm sure you have a mind. Yeah, well, when you spend so much effort suppressing even your sexual feelings or interest or sexuality all the way up till marriage and then you say, okay, now you can do it. Most people can't flip that switch so quickly. Mm. It's not like that. Plus, you've, you've already convinced your brain and your body, your heart, that this is off-limit stuff. And actually, it can go both ways. Some people have shut this down so long, and then they have a hard time turning it on. There are actually other people who they are so interested in the forbidden mm-hmm. that they almost have more sexual interest until they're married. And now it's allowed. And it doesn't seem as sexy because you can have it. It's right there. So we're kind of messing up people on both ends of this, honestly. Everybody's messed up. Some people are getting it right. But but yeah, but I think sometimes these messages end up sticking with us past the the I do's. And if you're there, I mean, we need to rethink our messages because it certainly matters to have self-control, but also more like channeling your sexuality or owning what it is and then saying, okay, well, I'm a very sexual being. I am going to have these feelings. These feelings are okay, but these actions are not. And we do that with everything else all the time. You know, we say I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat junk food all day. I'm going to channel it properly. I'm sleepy, but I'm not going to sleep 23 hours a day unless you're a teenager at spring break. in which case it's all out the window but we have these things in other areas so why wouldn't this be something else that that god put this in us and he expects us to show some self-control but not deny that this part of us exists but then once we get married we kind of have to rethink the scripts that are in our heads because what we've done is we have painted a picture of what it's supposed to be and we need to somehow erase that image and start over writing new scripts that really do follow what God believes about sex, which is, I mean, he's Mm pro-sex. It was his idea. And there are several references to the husband and wife becoming one flesh. There is a whole book in the Bible that deals with romance and sexual intimacy. There you have it. Yeah. He's for it. Do you feel like with pornography, that's become such an issue in the marital world. Do you feel like it's really kind of hindered either partner 
not being able to be pleased or expecting unrealistic things. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's really disturbing when you ask young people what their primary source of sex ed is. They say pornography. Yeah. Which is like the worst sex ed because it's not reality. Typically, it takes longer for a woman to become aroused. Most women are not like hunting down well-endowed men. Let's say it that way. <laughs> I don't know which words I can and cannot use on you your podcast. Use it, use so I'm kind of used a to big saying. old dog. You can use whatever you want. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, you know, we're not all looking for large penises. No. There are a lot of acts shown in pornography that people aren't really into. That's not really what they want to do, but what they do, they work themselves into this thinking that that's something really cool to do. And so they aim for it. So there's just lots, like you said, there's expectations of activities and things that we wouldn't want that without it being presented to us as something great, even though the actors, they're not having a good time. It's all fake. And If you actually also look back at some of the people that do this, it's just heartbreaking how difficult their lives have been to bring them to that point. So, you know, we need to understand that that is completely fake. It is not sex ed and adjust our expectations. And a lot of this is when you talk about the shame or pornography or other places that we've learned bad messages, it can matter to kind of start thinking about what are the messages I learned about sex? And identify those because we often absorb them and don't realize what we believe until we ask ourselves those questions and maybe even write them down and then ask, is that really true? Or what does God have to say about that? People really like, how did he actually create us? And when you start kind of thinking about what you've gotten wrong and then figuring out what the right message is, that's when you can start replacing it. So then when you have that belief crop up that's wrong, you have a ready answer to start rehearsing a new script in your head. One that just popped to mind. Here's a, an example maybe you can give as a as a new thing to rephrase it. I heard this a lot. Your body is a temple. Your body is a temple. You know, you need to be very cautious of what you do, what you let other people do. You need to be pure with it, blah, blah, blah. So that can be a record in my head. What are your thoughts on that? I'm kind of re reshaping that. Well, then, and you know, that comes from a scripture where it does say that you want to honor your body because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But okay, let's go there. Think about a temple. Does no one ever go in the temple? <laughs> Ooh, there it is. <laughs> and uh, uh, well, let's just say your your husband's the <laughs> priest of your temple, and he gets to go to the holy of holies. <laughs> Oh, Julie, I like you. (laughs) But I mean, I think you can tell yourself, yeah, sex is sacred, but it's also pleasurable and fun and good for a marriage. It's good for a marriage. Absolutely. The intimacy is so, so important. So kind of like you, and not that I want to embarrass him by any means, but I had two girls, both with different dads. And then I may or may not have had my own little promiscuity, if you will. But I've only been married a year, but I've had to work through a lot of that, kind of like you did. Mm -hmm. I've had to really reshape my thinking and 
I also had some sexual trauma. So just a whole bunch of mess. But I will say that intimacy with your husband, true intimacy, where you really connect in that way has been something I have never experienced in my life to be so beautiful, almost bringing tears to your eyes just because you're so connected. And it's then I'm like, okay, this is what God meant that whole time. He's saying, you know, for marriage and to wait or to respect that communion. But that's, I don't know if you felt the same when you, when you got married. Yeah. And let's just go there and say that most Christians do not wait till marriage. Uh A very high percentage of Christians have had sex before marriage. So once you're married, whatever happened before, God is not punishing you. You know, he's not wanting to punish you. He's not wanting your intimacy to not work now because of something you did before. He's saying, okay, whatever happened before, I can forgive that. And then you are where you are. And I want to bless you from this space. And it's in the context where it should be. So I really do think that you get a fresh start, Mm. even if it starts right now today, that you can have a fresh start and say, what would I like our sex life to look like this many years from now? You know, next year, what what would I like it to look like? Because honestly, it's not going to turn on a dime. It usually is going to be a process. And even if you have glimpses of how it should be, you may have those days when the shame comes back. Hmm. Or when you're just struggling to feel okay with what you're doing. And that's okay. If we recognize that this is a process and that baby steps are still going to get us in the direction we need to go so we can reach our destination. We kind of figure out what is it I want to start doing here to start having the real connectedness that we could have in the bedroom that spills out to other areas of your marriage. That is so true. What would Mm -hmm. you say to, not to go off topic, but as you were talking, something that I hear from a lot of my clients is they can't be intimate with their husband because of their body image or the way they look. Is there anything on that that, I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible, I'm guessing anything per se about that, but that is like the number one thing. And I I don't know how to express anything in that world. Do you have any advice for that? Well, first of all, I would say you're not alone. And I understand the struggle because all of us women have lived our entire lives with an enormous amount of weight placed on our appearance. So women definitely, even more than men, men tend to get this on other areas, like for instance, strength, but women tend to get judged by their beauty. And we have 5 billion images around us telling us this is the way you should look. And nobody does. Exactly. Most of those images you see are airbrushed And even if they aren't, they had a designer dress them. They had a makeup artist contouring their face. They have, you know, they're wearing Spanx. I don't know, all the stuff. And even Cindy Crawford, famous model, she actually said, even I don't look like Cindy Crawford. Because she was making the point. Yeah. So she made the point that the Cindy Crawford that we saw on the magazine covers was not what she looked like when she was just around her house doing whatever. Please tell me, though, that that mole was real. 
The mole is real. <laughs> the mole is real. <laughs> that would be sad if it, that was it would be horrible. That one was real. Yes. <laughs> but her always looking absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. Not real. So I think that's one of the things we need to remind ourselves is that we're often comparing ourselves to completely unrealistic images and expectations. Then I think we also need to ask, who are we trying to look good for? Don't we want to just feel good about ourselves and be appealing to our husband? And guess what? Your husband already chose you. He already picked you and said, you look great to me. And I'll also say that when I hear from husbands, the number one thing I hear from them about how their wives' bodies look is that they wish their wives would believe that they thought she was sexy. So they're saying to me, I know my wife has gained 50 pounds or we are 20 years older or she is just really worried about her hips or whatever. And they're saying to me, I don't care about any of that. I look at her and I just think she is hot. And knowing also spending life together also makes her more attractive. And you think about that, like, you know, you think about people you like, they tend to start looking more attractive. And then there are those people that you meet who are really gorgeous and then you get to know them and you're like, yeah, they're not that great. (laughs) That's so true. Personality does, it exhumes through you, doesn't it? Or beauty. So the main main thing is how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, groom yourself, you know, take care of yourself because it's the right thing to do for you. But I just think we're worried way too much about appearance. And men like things that we all have, like curves. And even the straightest woman is still going to have some curves that he doesn't have. And she's going to have more sensitive skin. She's going to have more delicate hands. She's got just all those things that are the femaleness of us. I love that so much. By the way, how do you create, begin that intimacy before you get to the bedroom? Do you feel like there are some steps that you could say, like, I started writing my husband love notes, or I started complimenting him more, or I started giving him back massages? I don't know. Do you find that what you hear is there's a certain key or magic (laughs) trick? Yeah, well, what I hear from women a lot is that they're waiting to get into the mood. They're like, well, I'm not really in the mood. And so then they, they think it's just going to like, come down on them like a spotlight, just suddenly, boom, there it is. And well, now I'm in the mood, let's go. But actually, many women are not like that. They're more receptive or responsive. And so they need to kind of do things that stir that up. So they need to start getting aroused and then they'll feel in the mood, not I'm in the mood and now I'm going to get aroused. They kind of need to flip that So all those things that can help us kind of get in the mood or get aroused, some of those include things that we can do on our own. And some of them, like you said, are things we can do with our husband. So on our own, for instance, if let's just say you're a busy mom. (laughs) Yeah, you can relate, right? (laughs) (laughs) And you've had hands on you all day long and you think, no, I don't want to be touched again, even if it is my husband. And also your mind's been full of, you know, whether it's diapers or schoolwork or, you know, your kid's eating schedule, whatever it is like that. Well, before you could start engage with your husband, you may need to say, okay, 
I need a break because I need to go do things that can relax me so that I can get in the mood later. And whatever that is, I don't know what it is that refreshes you. For me, bubble baths were Mm. a godsend. I was big on the bubble baths and just going in there for five, 10 minutes, just soaking and blocking out the world. And also things that tap into your senses can often kind of awaken the same senses you're going to use when you become sexually intimate with your husband. So whether that's moving your body around, dancing, or feeling something soft and silky like that bath water, or lighting a candle so you can smell certain scents that you like. So things that you can do on your own that sort of awaken your senses and get you kind of relaxed so that you can engage. And then the things you can do with your husband are the stuff like you talked about, which is a lot of flirting, but in all kinds of different ways, but also just companionship, you know, just spending time with him, you know, something about snuggling up on the couch with him and talking about your day for five minutes just makes you feel closer so that then you're like, okay, well, we're close in this kind of intimacy. We feel close with emotional intimacy that can easily translate to sexual intimacy. I love this. I love it all. This is yeah. this is so eye-opening too. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm a like, big fan of grabbing my husband too. And uh, actually we did this earlier today. I just grab him and I come up to hug him, but then I grasp him in a dance pose. And now we both know we just immediately start kind of slow dancing for a minute. That's Jill, just during the day. On a roll. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just during the day that we do this. But I mean, it's also fun if you're, hey, you step out of the shower or something, or he steps out of the shower and you come up and are you in your night clothes and I don't know, slow dance naked or with very little on. <laughs> oh, we need to have you write a romance novel too. <laughs> Keep writing those books, girlfriend. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Last thing I want to talk about. I want to talk forever, to be honest. I could just keep drilling you, especially because this is going to help so many women that I know. Good, and good. yeah, so many. How can the experience be better for wives? Is it more communication? Is it talking about it beforehand? Do you have some tips? in your back pocket there? Yeah, I think a few things. One is for both husband and wife to start learning how her body really works. So learning some basic anatomy, for instance, does he know where your clitoris is? Do you know where your clitoris is? Does he know what a clitoris is? (laughs) All orgasms are due to some kind of clitoral stimulation, either direct or indirect. So it's important to know what that is. So it can be handled properly, (laughs) but also understanding what gets her going because what gets him going and what gets her going are not necessarily the same things. And we need to respect that for each other. And we need to be good to one another in that area. And you can ask him, hey, what do you really like? And then say, you know what I really like? It's kind of interesting. You may not have thought about this, but I really love being kissed on my neck. That's a big turn on. And he'd be like, huh, doesn't really do it for me. Well, you know, it does it for me. <laughs> so, you know, having those conversations about how your body works. And there's also some general things like I talked about. A lot of women don't start with feeling in the mood. So if he's saying, well, hey, I'm raring to go, aren't you? And she says no. And he feels like, well, why don't you want me as much as I want you? Or he's disappointed or he thinks that means sex is off the table. Explain to him, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't want you. I just need to get started and see if it can come together. So maybe even having the attitude of, you know, I don't know if I'm there, but let's, you know, fool around for five minutes and see if my body can get there. And sometimes it may not, but 
if it does, then there's one more you got that you didn't know you could have. (laughs) (laughs) So things like that about learning about her. Also, yes, speaking up is very difficult to say what you want. And also, guys could be so sensitive. You don't want to say to him things like, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So don't do that. Don't say, what are you doing there? Move over, buddy. A little to the left. But you can talk outside the bedroom and say, you know what? I feel awkward speaking up in the middle of things. But I just think if we made some adjustments, this would be really good for me. How can I talk to you? You know, would it be okay if I just gave some directions like left, right, up, down, you know, slower, faster, harder, softer, whatever the things are. Sometimes just those one word directions help. Or is he okay with you just taking his hand or mouth and moving it to where you like to be touched? And if you can do this for a while, I think there'll be some good reinforcement for him that he will keep wanting to do some of this. That doesn't mean that he won't, you know, return back to the familiar. You may have to remind him every now and then, but you guys will get a better rhythm. And one of those things too, by the way, is positions that work best for him aren't necessarily the positions that work best for her. So all these things, just where you're touched, how you're positioned, those things should be up for discussion. And oftentimes they're easier to discuss outside of the bedroom in a neutral territory where there isn't the pressure of the moment or it's a vulnerable place, the bedroom. So we're already in a vulnerable place and we don't want to be told you're not doing it well. But it's not about that. It's about saying, here's how we can really pleasure one another in ways that increase our intimacy. Absolutely. That is That makes so much more sense because... Ego is a lot. Ego is Mm -hmm. a lot for some people. And it's very hard when you're already trying to get into a mind space of, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. Or I hope he's liking this. I hope she's liking this. And then to hear that or need some direction. Yeah. Egos are very fragile. That I'm glad you said that. Do that on a neutral ground. I also feel like I should add this because this happens too often is for any wife out there who is feeling pain or discomfort during sex. It's not supposed to feel like that. Thank you. So if it does, and and a lot of husbands don't even know, like they'll find out much later that their wife was in pain or discomfort and they honestly didn't know and then they feel terrible. But if you're in that spot, it's not supposed to feel that way. Please do tell your husband and maybe tell him why you hadn't said anything before. Or if he hasn't been paying attention, it's okay for you to stop and say, I need to figure this out. I'm not going to continue in pain. I need to figure this out. And then please go visit a healthcare provider and ask questions. It could be something very simple. For instance, after the birth of my first child, I was having extreme pain trying. We couldn't complete. And I found out that I was just so low on estrogen that nothing was happening down there like it should. So I just couldn't. And Thankfully, my husband did know and he was like, I'm not doing this. You're, we're going to figure this out. And I just got a little estrogen cream and everything was fine. I thought you were going to say scarring because I feel like that's a lot of what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, that's sometimes it. And, but there are pelvic floor specialists. There are medications. There are things that you can do. Oh, sometimes for some women, the pain or discomfort can be due to sexual trauma, Mm. in which case, They should see someone who is trained in trauma counseling. But just for any wife out there who's thinking, well, yeah, I guess I need to keep doing this intimacy thing. It Please 
figure that out. If you're there, that's not what God wants for you. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't even have that to speak on in my notes. And, but I I hear that all too often. Well, it hurts. It hurts. It's like, well, it's not supposed to hurt. You need to, (laughs) girlfriend, go get that checked out. Yeah, Uh, it could be all kinds of things. I know someone who had an allergy that was having creating issues down there. Yeah, yeah. You just educated me. I had heard scarring would cause it, but I didn't think, I didn't even think of the other things. Of course, why wouldn't there be? Mm-hmm. Tell us about your book that's about to come out. Yeah, I am so excited because and this will be the first time I've talked about it on a podcast. Woo-hoo! I haven't even said it on, on my own podcast. <laughs> so here you go. This is an exclusive. Yay. I recently signed a contract with Baker Books, which is the largest independent Christian publisher. And I am going to be writing The Higher Desire Wife, or I'm already writing it. But turning that in next year, I don't have a publication date, but this is a book specifically for wives who desire sex more than their husbands, which is what we believe around 25% of marriages. I love it. What gave you the inspiration? Just years of talking with women and... Well, because I've been everything in my marriage. I have been matched to my husband. I've been the lower desire spouse. And then I have been the higher desire spouse. And I experienced that. And as I started to write more and more about this, most of what I'd done early on was trying to write to wives who didn't want sex as much as their husbands because they didn't enjoy it. And so I was trying to help them want and enjoy it more. And then I realized that there were those wives who didn't want to hear that marriage. They were tired of hearing that way because they were the opposite. And I realized, well, I can speak to that. I've been there too. And so I started writing about that and kind of, became a voice about that. And I even now have a higher desire wife community. So, wow, that is fantastic. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. There are ways to navigate that interest gap, no matter how it goes. Yes. Oh, Julie, it's been such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Oh, this is my pleasure. (laughs) Well, we're into pleasure, you and I. (laughs) (laughs) well you're gonna have to come back on and we're gonna have to chew the fat on something how about after your book comes out we'll kind of dissect it absolutely i'd love to come back me too and i promise our schedules will work out a little bit better yeah thank you again for being here It, it has meant the world oh last thing hot holy humorous podcast and where else can people actually actually no it's i have a co-hosted podcast it's called (laughs) sex chat for christian wives And the other place you can find me is just hotholyhumorous.com. And actually you can find stuff about the podcast there and the Higher Desire Wife community. And I have over a thousand blog posts. So I've probably hit the topic. If you have an idea, you can, (laughs) you know, look through the topic, the categories or pop something in the search bar and see what you can find. Yay. Wonderful. Thank you guys for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to share it with someone. You never know who needs to hear it and be given some hope, especially in the intimacy realm. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hey, Miss Girl, do you want to come hang out with a group of unapologetic and authentic Christian women just like you? Hmm, I thought so. Inside the private Facebook group, Christian Women Overcoming Trauma, you'll get fellowship, encouragement, hope-filled testimonies, 
actionable advice and guidance from experts on how to live a life with purpose. Join now at Facebook groups, Christian Women Overcoming Trauma.